Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. Uh, it is 8-29-2021, and we're continuing where we left off uh, and in our worship service, and we will continue with the thought of the week and prayer. And here we have the thought of the week, which is on the Father's master plan. Okay, I admit it. I am struggling to find the plan of the Father in ways that will give it ultimate importance in our minds. Before we can examine the motives of God, we must know the plan in an intimate way. By this, I mean we must know it in enough detail to be able to develop the wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began, from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. We enter into the motivations of God. Knowing the details of the plan is not enough. You must have a grasp of them so as to master them. Once mastered, we can enter into the wisdom spoken of here. To use a weird analogy, for which I might be known, it is like a murder trial. The facts and all the details must come out first. What actually happened? What is the evidence? What did the witnesses say? Once we have all the evidence and testimony in, we can see what happened. However, that is still not good enough. Our attention must be focused on motive now. Why did he commit the murder? What, what was he thinking? What are the circumstances that led to the final result of murder? In the same way, we must have such a grasp of details of God's master plan to then progress to the motives of the Father. He invites us to critique his thoughts, motives, and intentions of his heart. Remarkably, this is the same way he examines our hearts. And then we have a reference to Hebrews 4.12 and 1 Corinthians 13.12. Well, I'd like to add some commentary to this thought of the week, and I'm challenged um, in going from the mystery and the master plan back to the simple gospel. But we can see that there is a thread that runs through the whole thing, that this information is given to uh, believers about the master plan through his grace and kindness to, toward us in Christ Jesus. And what did we have before we were saved? While we were still lost, there was nothing that we could do about our lost state. We were condemned simply by the matter of being born in Adam. So we needed justification that was something that we could not do. And God did those things. Christ executed those things on our behalf. 100% of the work was accomplished for us. What does he ask from us? To believe. By belief alone, through faith in Christ, his grace is extended onto us to remove that label of condemnation, to move the reality of that condemnation. And we are justified in Christ. And that is the first step in his plan 
And then from there, we can grow to understand all the aspects, the testimony, the evidence, and the motive for his master plan. And now I'll turn it over to Dave for the prayer. Uh, thanks, Dwight. Do anyone have a special prayer request, Bill? Uh, just for those who are sick among us, Dave. Okay. All right, this time we're taking it to the throne of grace. Father, we ask you, Lord, Father, to look over us, look over this church, Father. Pray for those who are sick among us, Father, and care for us, Father. Father, we ask you as you continue to grow, Father, you ask, we ask you the Holy Spirit to direct us, to lead us to all paths of righteousness, Father, so we can get out of this place, Father. Father, we ask you, Lord, to assemble us, Father. We are assembled at the church, Father. We ask you, Lord, to teach us your divine way, Father, so we can know who you are and so that you can protect us also, Father, while we serve this world. We ask you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, um, Dwight. Thank you, Dave. Amen. Appreciate that. And we are continuing uh, on our journey in John chapter 16. We're at John 16 and 24 today, which reads, Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. So um, we are hopefully going to be able to look at this verse today. There's a lot of uh, thoughts that uh, we have to think about as we read these uh, points. But let, let's, let's start and um, let's see how far we get. All creation is a part of the Father's eternal purpose, including all the created beings. If the Father, Son, and Spirit did not choose to execute this plan before creation, then creation would not exist. Everything in this world, animate or inanimate, supports the Father's plan, although passively. All human beings passively supported the Father's will. Passively because they did not know they were contributing toward that end. However, as the plan is revealed, the disciples have the opportunity to actively support this plan. If you ask how, it is through their knowledge of it and their active participation in it. So here we are. Uh, we're going to take our time and go through uh, the thoughts. I tried to break down this verse into two phrases. Uh, we'll try to examine those phrases as best we can. Uh, remember, we are not saying that this is the last word on these thoughts. And I'm hoping that you can weigh in on them yourself. Uh, what, what are your thoughts with regard to these verses? How would you uh, characterize what Jesus is saying here? And take some time to think about that. And write it as well, if, if you can. So point number one here is the first phrase. Until, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. So the first thought is until now, and we certainly cannot say that the disciples did not ask Jesus anything until now. <laughs> no scripture, 
references are needed to support the statement, right? So I am not presenting any verses to prove that the disciples had questions or prayers before now. Uh, you have, he says, that you have not asked anything in my name. So we're, we're going to talk about, if Jesus is saying that, then it's true. This until now is unique. This is not, you know, to say, um, you know, I like it. I like the other verse in John 3, where he says, no, no man has ascended to the Father except the Son who came down from, who was in heaven and has come down from heaven. So Jesus is saying, in human history, <clears throat> up to that point, no person, no human being has ascended into heaven. We can say that. Up to that point, right there, nobody went to heaven. Now, I know you might say, well, what about uh, Elijah and so forth? Well, wherever Elijah went, he didn't go into heaven because Jesus said, no man has gone into heaven. We know that. We can look at the limitations Scripture gives us, and we abide by them. I'm not going to say, well, it says that, but <laughs> Elijah went... Jesus probably didn't know that. I'm not going to say that. No, Jesus knew about Elijah when he said that. The word of God is much more logical than we give it, I tell you. It's more logical than we are. We're learning from the word, not the other way around. So this until now is a unique point in time. So the disciples were coming to this knowledge and Jesus is remarking that nobody asked in his name, you know, addressed to the Father until, until now. No one still has asked. And he's inviting them to ask. So we're, we're going to get to exactly more, but you could get, just think about the disciples. They were so ignorant about everything. And they asked, I'm sure, a lot of questions and uh, about... Uh, you know, what was the plan? What's going on? Where are we going? Why are we going there? This and that. Uh, so don't, I don't think I need to provide any scriptures. Point B, since the disciples were specifically chosen by Jesus, they are beginning to understand why they were chosen. That's the beginning of their understanding. And we're, and we're coming to the scripture uh, where uh the disciples are going to say in John 16, oh, now we, we, we are, you're speaking, when we get to verse 29, that is, Jesus said, now you are speaking, this is, this is what the disciples said, I'm sorry. Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not uh, even need to have someone or anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. So notice this. Uh, this is not something that, uh, this is a milestone. For the disciples to say that is a milestone. It's not, oh, you know, it's just common knowledge. They're at a point, it, and it took Jesus' discourse and all of that for them to finally get to this point where they're starting to come around. They're, they're beginning to, to see the uniqueness of who Jesus is. Even still, with all of that, they're still going to be thrown for a loop with the emotional roller coaster that is coming. And we've been talking about it uh, 
the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is coming. We just finished dealing with that. So, they, but what they are seeing is they have a specific role. And Jesus is pointing that out. He is leaning forward, trying to speak into their lives to help them understand more and more about what God has chosen them to be. And as we already know, they are going to be the foundation of the church, right? The church is going to include apostles, prophets, with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. And we're not talking about anybody in the Old Testament. We're talking about those who are after Pentecost. After Pentecost, they went from disciples to being apostles of the church. And Christ is the one who gave them the gift of apostleship. And this early gift uh, it was given by Christ himself, we learn from Ephesians chapter 4. Point C. So there is something unique about this point in time of, the, of this discourse. So stop and, and take note from yourself. Now, we've been doing that. In fact, as you know, the reason why we're studying this discourse is because of the importance that it, that it has uh, as uh, Jesus is giving parting instructions to these disciples who would become apostles for the church. Uh, and Israel has already rejected Christ, right? Remember, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. That's John 1, 11. Uh, but as far as, as Jesus is concerned, he knows it's not going to be the restoration of Israel, full, the full restoration of Israel at this point. He knows that's not happening. He knows what's next. And he's been talking about it. When the Spirit comes, when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit comes, he's referring to Pentecost. So hopefully everybody is on the same page with that and have not taken his words this is to be common information so so this is there's definitely a unique point in this discourse and this is why we're studying john 14 15 16 and 17 these are key verses in this discourse that directly pertain to our spiritual life and we, we want to make sure that we avail ourselves of all of what jesus said about the coming spirit. He even called them the spirit of truth, the comforter. You know, there are different names that we need to make sure we understand. So Jesus has been revealing the Father all along. And that's John 6.38. I'll just read that. And this is early on, but in 6.38, he even says here about his mission and why he's here. He says, for I have come down from heaven. Now, here it is again. <laughs> I've come down from heaven. Imagine that. Not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Imagine the, that statement. We just stop for a minute at that statement. None of us can say that. None of us can say, well, I've come down from heaven uh, not to do my... Now, we could say, we're, we're here to do the Father's will. We could say that. But that first part, I have come down from heaven. That belongs only to the person of Christ. And I like what John in one one it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word himself was God. The Word was God. And uh, 
and the same, he was in the beginning with God and so forth. It says that in John 1, 1 uh, and 2. So th this word, nobody's going to say this word is a human being. But, but the person who's speaking this is, if you skip down to verse 14 in John 1, it says, And the word, more about him, became flesh, meaning he took on a human nature and made his dwelling among us. So, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word is a human being at this point, but he's not just a human being. He's a human being, but he's also in full knowledge of who he is and where he came from. He recognizes his humanity, but he also recognizes his deity as well. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And, and there it is. You could say his whole mission revolved around the Father's plan. But back to my notes, point C. But now, specifically, to these chosen ones. Right? This is something unique at this point of time in the discourse. Jesus had been revealing the Father all along. That's been his whole thing. He's talked a lot about the Father through all, all the Gospels, but now specifically to these chosen ones. And right, uh, so a couple ways to look at this, his revelation. In John 1, 18, let's go there. John 1, 18. And this, I give these verses, as you should know, to illustrate the statements made. I mean, if I could, I could make a lot of statements, but it doesn't mean that those statements hold any water. But what does the Bible teach? That's what holds water. So John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son. Now, he's the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest, closest relationship with the Father. Now get this, has made him known. That That is unique. I mean, that verse, we need to take some time with that verse and just break it down. I'd love to do that at some point. I don't know, we have covered it before, but at some point it will be a nice verse to explore a little more because it got a lot of concepts here that we could discover. But he has made him known. And this is the point that I'm making. If I go to John 17, 6 through 9, with that thought in mind, and here it is, uh, verse 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Remember, it says that only through Christ can he, 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 you understand who the Father is. Christ is saying, I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Notice, those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Remember, the disciples were specifically chosen for the role that they play. Right. Verse 7, Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. Now they know. Now notice Jesus is full, fully acknowledging that I've came, I've done my job in terms of enlightening them to the purpose that you gave to me that is beyond salvation, because we're not just talking about salvation here. This is a, 
This is more about what the Father has chosen these disciples for. And then he says, I have given, verse 8, I have, I, for I gave them the word you gave me, and they accepted them. There it is. Now, what words are we talking about? And if we talk, go back and think about the context of John 17, it is 14 through 17. That is the discourse that he spoke about. He's given them the words, but he's given them these words. He's been revealing the Father even more than this, but not in such a concentrated manner as this discourse, and not in such a critical time as this discourse. I mean, this discourse is just before, I mean, we can't even say hours before, Christ is goes and begins the process of the death, the burial, the resurrection. All of that will happen in the next three days. So this is a critical time as well. So, and then he says, I pray for them. Not, I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Now, so that verse says specifically that the disciples were chosen for a specific role. And I hope, hopefully we are, we are seeing that. Okay, uh, so point D, we're moving faster. So you have not asked for anything. This is the phrase we're, we're talking about. You have not asked for anything. Certainly the disciples have asked questions and for things from Jesus. So what is the difference here? Now that Jesus specifically introduced the plan going forward, they can, not, they can also work toward that plan. And that's what's unique about this time. Now that the disciples know, there are, there are instructions for the disciples uh, going forward to make sure that they avail themselves of exactly paying attention to what Jesus said. Once they go through this emotional roller coaster, then they're going to have to remember, love one another like I, I told you, just as the Father loves me and uh, I abide in his love, so you uh, abide in my love by keeping my commands, keeping my words. So the disciples did have some things that they had to do in order to get to Pentecost. I mean, it was a tough time for them. Remember, with all the fear and worry and anxiety that was a part of their experience at this particular time. Point E, in my name. So this is big, right? This phrase indicates that the person using it understands the Father's plan. They did not pray in Jesus' name in the Old Testament. So this is part of the church age understanding. This Christ, I mean, you don't see uh, in the Old Testament Moses and David and all of them praying in the name of, even though Christ, the, the person of Jesus Christ was a name, the, the concept of who he was, the Messiah, the Christ, was throughout the Old Testament. But we don't see anybody praying in the Messiah's name because the plan that we have is not, was hidden. It wasn't revealed to them. But for us, we are told that it, this is an important distinction to be able to pray in the name of Christ. And uh, just note the uniqueness of that. 
you have to understand that something has changed here, right? The, the Father's plan is in view here. So when you say, in the name of Christ, that that is not just some uh, line that you put on the end of your prayer that helps it get beyond the ceiling. There's a lot more of recognition and cognizance in, on your part about who Christ is, what the Father's plan is regarding this phase of the plan. So we're going to try to discover that a little bit more. Point F, that phrase recognizes how the Father's plan proceeds through the person of Christ. Now, we've been talking about it, and it's important because obviously for, for in that name, he's not just saying pray to the Father, in the name of, in my name, that there's recognition. I'm going to go through these verses. Hopefully, they'll help illustrate that point. John 3.35, I'll move quickly, says, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hand. So now that's why we have to pray in the name of Christ. Now, there's more reasoning for it as well. Obviously, the baptism of the Spirit, we're in Christ we we ourselves are in Christ because of the baptism of the Spirit. That was a designation that did not exist. And we'll talk more about what that means, right? Uh, what that means. And then <clears throat> there's 1615. 1615 is right in our context here. Uh, it says, uh, All that belongs to the Father is mine, that is why I said the Spirit will receive from me and will make known to you. So again, uh, Jesus is declaring that what belongs to the Father, it belongs to him. And what he has belongs to the Father. That's a part of the Father's plan. Now, understanding that is key. It's critical. We need that understanding. And then um, 17.10, we'll, we'll get to that. I know we were already in 17 today. So 17.10 says, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. So there is the plan, right? This is how uh, Jesus understood it. And glory has come to me through them. So it's important. They're, these disciples are important to the founda foundation of the church. <clears throat> and we shouldn't be so surprised, because Christ said, that he would build his church, and here it is, we see the church being built. <clears throat> so, and then it's Matthew eleven twenty seven. I just threw this one in here, just to illustrate. And there are more scriptures that speak of this, just to note, I didn't pull every one. Here's Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have come have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Notice, he's talking about the uniqueness that he has with those disciples. Those disciples play a key role, and those who receive the revelation of the Father finally and we see in John 17, Christ says, Father, now I know they, they have accepted the words. They know that everything I've said to them comes from you. They get it now, right? This, this is where it is. These verses help us understand 
how uh, the Father's plan proceeds through the person of Christ, right? That when we talk about in the name of Christ, that's what Jesus is saying, right? It's not just pray for anything you want right now. Now, a person might say, well, I think it has to do with my needs. If I pray for whatever I want, God is saying he promises he'll get it for me. Well, we could pray a prayer to dispel that thinking. We could say, uh, God, give me a million dollars, right? Right. We could say that. And then people, people know that, right? So they say, oh, well, God's working on it. He's working on getting me a million dollars. It may not come today, but it may come in the coming months, years, right? Decades even. He's going to get me that million dollars that I prayed for. Wrong, right? That's not what it's about. So if you want to make sure you understand that, he says ask anything, anything in my name, right? So let's say you say then, okay, God, I I, I would like for you to give me a million dollars right now. Now, that's the prayer. Now, will you get that? It says you will receive it, according to this verse, right? If you were just looking at it on the surface. I want a million dollars right now. I'm not talking about you working on it. I'm talking about I want it right now. So that means I need to see a million dollars somewhere right now if I'm looking around, but I don't see a million dollars. Do you Have you prayed that prayer? Go ahead and pray it. Let's just make sure we understand that this is not about a wish list for anything we want. This is about what the Father wants. And whatever is according to His will, in His name. When you pray in the name of Jesus, when you say that at the end of your prayer, you're acknowledging some things. That's, That's part of the Father's plan. It's not about your plan. He's, he's going to give you everything according to his plan. That's why, that's why he's saying this, is that you have the opportunity to participate actively in support of the plan. And any prayer you pray in this regard will be prompted by the means of the Spirit. He says the Spirit will lead and guide us into all truth. The guiding part is where the Spirit will also uh, help us understand what is the direction of the Father's plan. So in my name, it, it's not just about, um, you know, you just said that, and then it's the magic words. You know, if I say in the name of Christ about something, people think, oh, well, you said in the name of Christ. That means, hey, you got to be done that way. God, you got to do it. I said the magic words. That's like saying, please. Right? We say to kids, they demand something. And we said, well, what's the magic word? And they said, please give me that. <laughs> well, they don't really have the spirit in that uh, of kindness and politeness and humility in asking for something. They have demanded it of you. And, and then by you asking them to say, please, yeah, they'll throw it in there. No problem. But don't think that, you know, if you don't give it to them, they're going to be happy. You know, they want what they want. So this is this is not like that at all. This is when we and I want you to think about this. When you say a prayer and you end it by saying in Jesus name, in Christ's name we pray. Then you should understand this is going to affect everybody and how they think about it. And so 
point G is going to break this down for us a little bit more. Point G, that phrase also says that the person presenting themselves to God with the phrase, with in, in the name, should recognize two clear truths. And let's look at those. Two things that I think are important when we think about in the name of Christ. The first one is the salvation component. Right? And, and, and Christ did all the work for salvation, for the salvation of man. Anyone who comes to God must come through the person and work of Christ. Jesus is our righteousness and justification, and that's for all mankind. That's not just for some in this dispensation. That's for all mankind. That's from Adam to the last person that will be born in the millennium. Christ is our righteousness. He's our justification, right? And we have to say Christ is our propitiation for all our sins. And that's 1 John 2, 2, where it says, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So Christ, all of our sins were judged in Christ. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 19, I believe, where it says that, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting our trespasses against us, our sins. Trespasses are our sins. He has not counted them. Why? Because all of our sins, even before we were born, were imputed to Christ on the cross and then already judged. So you can say, well, how did God know all your sins? Remember we talked about in the, in the previous Q&A session, we talked about God's omniscience and how he knows everything about time. So how could he know every sin you would ever commit, right? Well, he already knows every moment in time. That's from the beginning to the end of time. He knows every moment. So that's how he, he knows. And he took all of your sins and he judged all of your sins in the person of Christ. So when we think about in Christ's name, when we talk about in Christ's name, it is with acknowledgement that we believe in Christ. He, and that we are in Christ. He is our Savior. And that we can only approach God through the person and work of Christ. We can't. I mean, the fact that you say in Christ's name acknowledges that you're saved. Acknowledges that you believe in the, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that you have life in his name. It acknowledges the fact that you understand that there is no other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. It is only through the person of Christ. When you hear somebody want to make a prayer and and they make some nice, put some nice words together, and and at the end they just say in God, you know, whatever they say. <laughs> There's, I am not a good person, you know, to go through this formal prayer. I, I would not say I'm a good prayer. Uh, a person who prays well. I stumble at it. I don't remember stuff. But none of that matters. The, the form and all that stuff, that's not what prayer is. Prayer is just talking to God. It's just communicating to God. Thanking Him. Praising Him. And not only that, He invites us to petition Him about whatever is on our heart. So when we think about in the name of Christ and when we come and use that, when we're definitely dealing with the salvation component of it, 
we're saying literally that we know that God had that Christ has done this work on our behalf. And we don't even have a right to represent ourselves before God at all. And just like if, if it were not for in the name of Christ, then we could not say, just like it says um, in Romans 3, it says, there is none righteous, not even one. There are none who do good. There is altogether become worthless and so forth. Those scriptures apply. So God is telling you how he feels about the human race in the state they are born in. That's the natural state of the human race. And God rejects the natural state of the human race. He rejects that. His righteousness abhors it. All our righteousnesses are filthy rags in his sight. And he, he does not accept it. So when we talk about in Christ, then we're saying we're not approaching God on our own uh, righteousness and our own goodness. We're approaching God based on the righteousness and goodness and the work of Christ paying for every sin we would ever commit. And we are, we are approaching God based on his merits, not ours. That's what it means to say, uh, in Christ's name, I pray. We don't even have a right to ask God anything unless it is in the name of Christ. Right? He's the only one. So these scriptures speak to that. Whether you're in the Old Testament, whether you're in the New Testament. Now, they didn't say in the name of Christ in the Old Testament because Christ hadn't come to do the work. But he promised to do the work. And part of their salvation was to believe in the promise that God was going to send a son, a savior, a messiah, and he would pay for the sins of the world. And that was illustrated by animal sacrifices and all sorts of things that these people could understand. So them believing in that is to say that automatically they would have salvation. God would pronounce them saved based on the work that Christ was coming to do. And Romans 3, 25, 26 talks about God and his forbearance. Uh, he, he did not judge. I'm going to read it real quick because we've got a little time. Romans 3, 25, and 26. We've been talking about how we receive righteousness freely through believing in Christ. So verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins, <clears throat> the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. These verses say a lot about how God sees us and how he has handled uh, past sins, our unrighteousness. He's handled it through Christ, even for people who lived in the Old Testament, right? That they were depending on this point in time when Christ would literally come and fulfill what he had promised. And he did. He did it. So it's like uh, writing a check and giving it to somebody. You say, I paid him. 
Really? All you did was give them a piece of paper with your signature on it. That That's really all you did. Well, when you get go to the bank and cash that check, making sure the money is there. What if you went to the bank and, you know how people used to say, uh, here's a check, but don't cash it. Don't put it in the bank until, I don't know, probably nobody here did that. But, but anyway... People would say that. They would, they would give you a check and say, "Don't can you wait and not cash it? Well, because if you went to the bank too fast, the money wouldn't be there to cover that check. And you know what they would tell you at the bank? Sorry. Even though it says that this person is giving you this money and they sign their name on it, sorry. They don't have enough money to cover that check. So therefore... Uh, you can't have it. So you walk away without the money. And you're like, what? And they call that the check has bounced. right? That, and that's what the bank then comes to you and says, hey, you got people presenting checks against money you don't have. Any, in any case, God, to all of those who believed in Christ, God wrote them a check. So you know what God could say? Paid. Paid. When would they, that check be finally cashed? When Christ was on the cross and he paid for the sins of the world. He lived the righteous life all his life and then he went to the cross. Then that is God's saying, here's the money in the bank. So those people, God did not judge them because of who they were in Adam. He says, you know what? Don't worry about it because my son is coming and he's going to make all those checks that I have written good. Don't worry about it. And sure enough, uh, this is when God settled up and Christ came and he paid. And those two verses in Romans 3:25 and 26 say that about God's righteousness. And if you and his you know how he paid for the sins. Now you have to look at that yourself and take some time to think about it. And you'll hopefully see that. So, um, so that's those are verse. And then you you also have Second Corinthians five eighteen, um, which speaks of this as well. It is the exchange, right? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Christ was our substitute. He took all right. Christ didn't have any sins, but all of our sins were dumped on him, and that was for our benefit. So that in him, we might be made the righteousness of God. So when we, we approach God in the name of Christ, uh, God sees that all of our sins are paid. And he also sees that we believe in him and we have become the righteousness of God. In other words, Christ's righteousness has been imputed to our account. So that way, we, God sees us as righteous as Christ was righteous. There it is. And that is the righteousness that God accepts for our standing. And then 1 John 2, 2 just says, He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. This is something God did. He paid for every person's sin. Now, if you don't believe in Christ, it doesn't say that your sins are not paid. Your sins are still paid, whether you believe in Christ or not. Well, listen, when you were an unbeliever, the truth was that Christ paid for your sins. And that doesn't change. That's the truth. But when you reject him, then the only reason you're going to be lost is because you have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It doesn't say 
the reason you're lost is because you got all these sins. Well, those sins were not imputed to you for judgment. They were imputed to Christ. And uh, they are no longer an issue before God. What's the issue now? Whether you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. For that, you shall not see life. If you resist that, you shall not see life. And the wrath of God will remain on you. So the first point in recognizing this whole in Christ thing is the salvation component. When you pray and you pray in the name of Christ, then it is automatically saying that you have a right to represent yourself before God because you are in Christ. That you, that Christ has covered uh, your accounts so that you, you don't have to worry about any sins. And you believe that. And you also are saying his righteous life that he lived on earth, that you're saying that that covers me. So when I approach God, I can pray in the name of Christ and I can, with recognition, that those things are a part of my standing now, right? And then uh, point two in our under G, it says when we approach God, we approach in Christ's accomplishments, not ours. And that's that's what, what I'm summing that up, that point number one up, because when we approach God, we don't make an issue out of our accomplishments, and that's why it says salvation is by grace through faith. Faith is non-meritorious. It is a gift of God, not of yourselves, not of, and then not of works, lest anyone should boast. So when we approach God, we're not approaching God and, and, and with our chest poked out and saying how, you know, we have done this or done that. No, it is about what Christ did. It was his work on the cross. So we don't approach in, in our own accomplishments and what we have done. We approach in Christ's accomplishments. Okay, so point, and then point number three is the second thing that uh, it, it, when we talk about two clear truths, one is the salvation component and two, the, the, which is expressed in number three here, is the eternal purpose. So those who have been chosen in him before creation in this age stand in Christ. So when we talk about uh, in Christ's name we pray, we are also referencing, this is not for people of all time like the salvation component was. This does not stretch back all the way back to the Old Testament like we read Romans 3, 25 and 26. This is unique to this age, in this age, right? So it's those for those who have been chosen in him, there's a special group of those who have been chosen in him before creation. In this age, they stand in Christ. And we, we talk about uh, now, so in, in this time, when we pray in Christ's name, you, whether you know it or not, and I, I would say some people don't know it because they don't understand God's eternal purpose, unfortunately. But they should. They should understand God's eternal purpose because that's what we're about in this age. God is calling out those many sons in the glory. So for your stand, you, you, you stand in Christ, and that's what this means, right? So Ephesians 1.4 says it. 
It says, for he chose us in him, in him before the creation of the world, be holy and blameless in his sight. That is specifically the reasoning why when we approach God, there's something unique about us. And then 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 17, right? That Let me read that. I think I'm right there, right here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. So the new creation is new in terms of never before seen. Nobody has ever seen anything like us. I mean, it tells us we're not even of this world anymore. Christ says they are no longer of this world any more than I am of this world. I mean, so there's some unique changes that have happened to us. So one thing we could sum it up in 2 Corinthians 5.17 by saying that we, the whole new, new creation has come. The old has gone. What's the old? Our life in Adam. The new is here. He's talking about what we have in Christ, this new creation, this calling out many sons in the glory. So that's what we, we have to make sure we pay attention to. In this, and then there's First Corinthians, um, twelve thir- oh, twelve thirteen. Yeah, it talks about the baptism of the Spirit. For by one Spirit were we all baptized into one body. So that's the uniqueness that didn't happen for uh, people in the whole world. It didn't happen for angels. It's only happening for people uh, since Pentecost. <clears throat> and that was like A.D. 31 or something. Since Pentecost, circa A.D. 31. Once, And this is point number four now. It's still related to the eternal purpose. Once the plan is revealed, we have special privilege. Um, hold on. Resuming. Uh, and so we're in... Point number four, G4, it says, once the plan is revealed, we have special privileges and access to the Father and how we approach God and our standing in the eternal plan. So, so when we think about who we are, we don't just say, well, we have access to God now. We could pray. We, could, we are people of God and so forth. There's special access for us. There's unique access for us, to God. Our standing is, is something different than the rest of humanity. And you have to note that. Remember, it's Ephesians, uh, first, not Ephesians, but 1 Corinthians 2, 7 talks about that there's this special wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. So that there's this uniqueness of what we think, who we are, what is our destiny. All those three things are related to who we are. Uh, this is very, very telling uh, throughout the scriptures, even in terms of the mystery itself. Right. So um, here's some more thought on this. I have a couple scriptures. Ephesians. 1, 18 through 23 is our first one to talk about our uniqueness. 1, 18 through 23, we could come, we could 
bring in 17 here. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, uh, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So when we think about this, uh, this goes without saying that it, it is of utmost importance. I mean, and then if we continue to go on and all the way down, it talks about his power. That power is like, uh, it says, his, he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. He's talking about us now, remember, what we have. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Now, this is what Paul is saying. I hope, let me tell you this. This is the hope of your calling. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. And, then, and now he comes back to us, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So notice, this is unique for us. This is talking about our standing before God. Where do we stand? Right? How do we, when we approach God, we should know that this is the hope of our calling. Hope doesn't mean, well, I hope I get it. Maybe I will, maybe I'm not, maybe not. No, hope means absolute confidence that this is God's will for me in the future. I will have what he is telling me here. Far above all rule. This is not Israel. <laughs> Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. There's, I could probably just leave it at that verse right there. There's enough said, but there's more. So let's just read the more. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7, which we have read already. We'll read it again. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Never spoken of Israel in such terms. And notice, we're not just raised up by ourselves. We are raised up with Christ. Not, and God raised Doug up. That, no, he raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness, grace to us in Christ Jesus. I didn't earn it. God just did it. The moment I was saved, I was seated in, in the heavenly realms in Christ. That is my position. So when I open my mouth, to pray to God in the name of Christ. That is who's praying, the person of Christ. I am. It is as though Christ were praying. I am a part of who he is. It is as though he himself were praying through me. When I pray in the Spirit and with the Holy Spirit leading and guiding and directing me, of course, 
God's going to give me whatever I ask because it's according to his perfect will. So, and then there's Colossians. Oh, wait a minute. It's not Colossians. Um, it is um, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3, 12 and 13. Here, let's look at it. Now, remember, 11 says, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, I'm going to say, I know we're not at the point yet, but when it says eternal purpose, I would think the whole theological world would sit up and take notice of what is being said here. Because God is revealing something that has been hidden that no one, and I mean, this tells so much, but I find that uh, many people have just reduced this to, well, God wanted to save us. Unfortunately, the scriptures don't support that. I mean, if you look at, just openly look at what the scriptures are saying, then you have to obviously depend on the spirit of truth for what is actually being meant by or taught by what is said. And you need the continuity of context and so forth. God the Holy Spirit has provided that. And now we are able to see what he's saying. So so much so that we can go to verse 12, where it says, In him, in Christ, all of this is happening in the person of, in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him, and through faith in him, and here it is, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So freedom here is saying that we, there's no to-do or a ritual or anything. We are in Christ. And from that position, that is the position of highest honor. There is no higher name or title or anything in the entire universe or in or we should say in or out of the universe that uh, is higher than the standing that we are in at this particular point so just because you have salvation does not mean that you are in christ all the old testament folks that we talked about they're not in christ but we are now how do we get there are we somebody special are we something to behold, not because of who we are, it's because God chose us in him before the creation of the world. We weren't around. It didn't have anything to do with our understanding. It has to do with his, what he wanted. So th those are important things for us to remember, for us to ponder when we think about this. And I don't think we're going to make it through both of these here uh, phrases i think we will have to stop at this one and then we'll continue so just so we're still in point number four uh you know here of g and um so that 312 and 13 13 says i ask therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you notice which are your glory there's so much more that could be said about our glory. Paul's saying, I'm suffering on behalf of glory, your glory, because he understands that we will also benefit, just like 
like Christ says, I'm not praying for these alone, but for those also who will believe on me through their message. He's talking about the church age. Yeah, that's what, what he's referring to. So two important things when we pray in the name of Christ right, that we need to pay, pay attention to. The salvation component, which encompasses all salvation for everybody in any age, and then the eternal purpose, which only focuses on the uniqueness that God has, has raised us to uh, in this particular age and the riches that are associated with uh, us those hidden riches in Christ that are revealed to us. Uh, we're moving forward, point H. When we invoke the name of Christ, it is not only a nice ending to a prayer, but also our entire approach to God and our recognition of it. It's everything. And now if you fully understand what you're saying, and this is not just some ritual with you, where, you know, you get to the end of your prayer and you got to say, oh, I got to remember to say in Christ. No, it's not a ritual. It is an acknowledgement. It is in, it's about how we think about when we approach God and why we even have the right to approach God. It is a reference to the fact that we stand in Christ. And, and it is a reference to our uniqueness and all of uh, God has done through the baptism of the Spirit and all the assets provided us and the privilege we have to participate in the Father's plan. So there's a lot more to it. So that's what point H says. Again, when we invoke the name of Christ, it is not only a nice ending to prayer, but also in an, our entire approach to God. It's not just how we approach God, but we recognize it as well. This is something we don't take for granted. Point I, praying in the name of Christ speaks of our right to pray in his stead. We are his body. And that's, we have already read Ephesians 1.23, the fullness of him who fills everything in everywhere, every way. Right? And our prayer is to the Father in the person of Christ by means of the Spirit. So notice in our prayer, even our prayer, everything that we do is uh, each person of the Trinity is involved in. As I said, we pray to the Father in the name of Christ by means of the Spirit. So even prayer, right? Our prayer, when we pray, we ought to pray in the Spirit, which means by His motivation, by His influence. It is not from the sin nature, we were not praying. Uh, some of those prayers I was talking about earlier about give me a million dollars right now, obviously that is not a prayer of the Spirit. Uh, that certainly not. So it was facetious. It was all kinds of just joking, fooling around, illustrative, but it was certainly not telling God he got to give me a million dollars right now. That is not by means of the Spirit. Point J. Our prayers are in harmonization with the Father's plan, which is now in Christ, right? It's acknowledging that. What if you don't acknowledge that uh, we're in the church age now? That if you don't acknowledge or understand what the Father's eternal purpose is, and we're in the age right now, then your praying in Christ really does not uh, hit 
what Christ is really after. It doesn't hit the nail on the head. Now, you may be in Christ and ignorant. Babies who are born in, in this age, born again, they're babes. And they come, they pray, but, and they are told, make sure you say in Christ at the end, they are not fully cognizant uh, uh, and recognizing what it is they're saying. And that's okay, because, you know, it takes time to grow into these things. And that's why we're talking about it now. So that uh, as we pray or whatever we do, uh, it has meaning. We understand why we're doing it. We're not just doing it because that's what it says we ought to do. You know, somebody told me if I pray, make sure I pray to the Father in Christ. So you got people praying in the, to Jesus, got people praying to the Holy Spirit. You got people doing all kinds of things, but it's because they don't understand. Uh, they, it's not to say they're not saved. I don't know. Right. God knows the heart. But we know what, what Jesus is telling us here. That that's what God wants us to do. And it's not just do it this way because it's magic. It's do it this way because I want you to recognize who you are and why you have approach to God and where you stand. So our prayers are in harmonization. Right. It's I know we talked about that other word synergy. Right? It's us working together to accomplish a goal. with, And that is it, right? It, it, with the Father's plan, uh, in the name of Christ, by means of the Spirit. We talked about that. So uh, if we're harmonizing with the Father, with the Son, and with the Spirit, now it's the church, right? We're in Christ as well. So it, it recognizes that you accept what God has revealed in the mystery, the, the, the progression of the plan of God. So there are some scriptures, John 14, 31. Christ already knew this when he said these words. He says, come on, come on, let us, let us go. He says, uh, the world must learn that I love the Father. And uh, Satan does not have anything. He, and he's, he says, I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded me. That shows Christ's love for the Father. He, it's not just his love for the Father, but his love for the Father's plan. That he's going to obey it to the T. Everything. So it makes sense to him. And then that's Ephesians 3.11, because it's according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the Father's eternal purpose was accomplished in Christ. Why? Even though it's not finished, it will be when, when God finishes calling out those many sons in the glory. Each of those sons are uh, conformed to the image of his son. And then in Colossians 2, 2 and 3, right, our prayer should be in harmonization with all of this. It should not just be, oh, well, we're praying in some name of Christ, but it doesn't really mean we're just trying to get through it. Prayer should be with the thought of who Christ is and, and what he is to us. He's everything in that sense. He's our salvation and he's our eternal destiny as well. So I'll just read Colossians 2, 2 and 3 and we'll close after that uh, because time is getting away from us and we'll finish the rest of this next week. Colossians 2, 2 and 3, Paul says, My goal is that, 
they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. So notice what it would like to have the full, what it's like to have the full riches of complete understanding. I know people will not add those last three words of complete understanding. They will just say the full riches and they'll be talking about that million dollars, uh, maybe more nowadays. But um, it's not just about riches in this world and how you fare in this world. It's more about what the Father's plan is, how it's progressing. Are you participating in it? Do you believe in it? Are you trusting in it? Is it your love? Right? That's, that's really what it's about. And so, so full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know what? The mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So when I think about this, it just, the more I think about it, the more thoughts it breeds because it's just pregnant with possibilities and opportunities. Yeah, we, we are privileged to participate in the Father's eternal purpose. I mean, and we know it's by grace. It's all these things that we talked about. The fact that he would give us, I mean, who are we? Dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live when we followed the ways of this world and the ruler, who, the prince of the air, who is at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them. Right? That's who we are, dead, none righteous, not even one. He has figured out a way to allow us to pray according to these things. So next week, we'll continue with the rest of this verse, which is just as important. And I would stress, take some time to read some through some of this since you have it. We'll cover this next week. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We're privileged. We're glad. We're happy. We're blessed to know these things, to understand, to have the full riches of complete understanding available to us. And Father, we thank you for those who have uh, called in, who have participated in our service. We thank you for Word is Truth, where we can candidly talk about these things. And, uh, and whatever comes to mind about your Word, uh, we, we are thank you, thankful for the, the farm that we have, where we can freely investigate as far as we, we want your eternal purpose. So, Father, we thank you. And we, just to know we are living in a world where we're still struggling with all sorts of things that are going on down here. Father, I pray for Word is Truth Christian Church, whether it be health challenges or financial challenges that uh, may present us. Uh, we pray that all those things will be handled by you and that we can keep our focus on your will and purpose for our lives. All of this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.